0: All right, greetings, friends. My name is Weston Akamar from Blockworks Macro in Tokyo, Japan. Welcome to the Market Depth Podcast, bringing you global market commentary and analysis from the Asia Pacific trading session so that you know what happened overnight. And man, what a way to end Central Bank Convergence Week! So, at the July po- monetary policy meeting, the Bank of Japan had shocked the world by making major fundamental changes to the way in which it operates its controversial yield curve control policy, in which Seemingly, the trading bans for 10-year JGB yields have been widened out from 50 basis points prior to now 100 basis points, okay, or a 0.5% cap to a 1% cap on 10-year Japanese government bond yields. But this is absolutely not as simple um, or as black and white as, you know, a tweak to yield curve control or, you know, as simple as it's being received and discussed out there at the moment, there is... Far more behind this policy change, okay? Essentially, what the Bank of Japan really did was that it has reclaimed its policy back from markets. So, as I've been calling it, they've essentially done YCCC, yield, curve, control, control. And it's doing so at the expense of us market participants and our understanding of how markets operate or how the bank of japan operates within markets okay and so therefore just kind of as a heads up i suppose this will be a very unusual episode of market depth because i hope that you will actually be more confused and have less clarity on the bank of japan and thereby on global markets writ large after going through this episode of market depth than you have before it and if that ends up being the case then i have accomplished what i set out to to do Okay, and you'll see what I mean. Meanwhile, Wednesday's July FOMC, Jay Powell gave the most useless press conference in recent memory. And then on Thursday at the ECB, Christine Lagarde had seemingly shifted away from being decisively hawkish, as she had been, you know, for the past several months, just suddenly being decisively maybe. And yes, they're all very much interconnected. So, with the Fed, the ECB, basically finishing up their hawkish rate policies, and the Bank of Japan seemingly taking an actual step towards accommodation removal, this was indeed the week in which we shift away from the prevailing era of central banks' policy divergence and we begin the era of policy convergence, as per what we had discussed in my previous episode of Market Depth. And in particular, the Bank of Japan, obviously, you know, moving, right? This is the notoriously standstill, stubborn policy outlier who has now taken policy measures um, and changes today, right? This is quite the shock. Or rather, I suppose, it would have been a far bigger shock to markets had this very policy not already been pre-announced by Nikkei some 10 hours prior to the official release of the policy and sharply moving global markets um, upon the BOJ policy press leaking happening in advance yet again. Okay? And this is also... Per my previous episode. In fact, let me just play a clip from the very end of my last episode that encapsulates all of this aforementioned that subsequently took place. Watch for Christine Lagarde's hawkish to dovish tilt for potential clues on BOJ, change in yield curve control on Friday. Um, and then, most of all, just remember the Bank of Japan is a press and media prostitution ring, even on Bank of Japan Day itself, okay? Which is why I said before that I can't make a call on BOJ policy until it's like the day before. And even still, I probably can't because they even do press tests on the day of, on the morning of. Okay, so I need to see where JGBs are trading is what I said. Right. And or what they've gone through already. And indeed, Christine Lagarde had flipped from being decisively hawkish to decisively maybe. And indeed, the Bank of Japan proved once again to be a media prostitution ring. And I'm not talking about just the Nikkei leaking of the Bank of Japan policy on the morning of the policy release date, just as they had done again, you know, on the on the morning of the April Bank of Japan meeting. I'm not just talking about those two instances in which the Nikkei had pre-announced the policy down to the detail and moved markets in doing so, but I'm also talking about a week prior with Reuters and Bloomberg leaking that the policy will remain unchanged for July Bank of Japan the exact opposite of what transpired on actual Bank of Japan July policy day, okay? And just because it was the exact opposite of what had actually taken place, that does not make it not a Bank of Japan policy leak. That was indeed the Bank of Japan leaking policy and thereby able to clear market positioning in order to unleash what they did. And we'll get more into that as well later. So yes, this blatant use of financial media The flip flopping within the financial media leaks, as well as the behavioral shift of the other major central bankers like Lagarde and Powell, okay? Not policy shift, but behavioral shifts that they're exhibiting. All of these are, they're both reflections of the Bank of Japan's policy aim that we just saw, as well as critical elements of this policy unveil and like the execution in and of themselves in this new era in global macro. That was just unleashed by the Bank of Japan today. So, today we're gonna to discuss the Bank of Japan's policy shift itself. Whether or not this is the start of the policy tightening cycle for Japan, what's been happening in markets, as well as broader global market implications. You know, what are the other potential policy implications for other central banks, such as that of the ECB, the Fed, whatever. Uh, and then, just generally, what, what the hell happened today? What was that all about? What does this fundamentally mean for us market participants? Why should we care, okay? And by we, I mean all of us, okay? Not just myself in Japan. I mean all of us global market participants and observers of markets everywhere, especially in developed market economies like the U.S. and Europe. And if you're in one of those regions, and even if you're not, right, but if you are and you're thinking to yourself, why should I care? I have no direct portfolio exposure to Japan. Yeah, well, you know what? It's not only about who or what you have direct or even indirect exposure to. It's also about who or what has direct exposure to you. Japan investors are the world's largest foreign fixed income investors. Trillions deployed overseas. Probably into your sovereign bond market. Your government bond market itself. Okay. European sovereign bond markets and the United States treasury market. The largest foreign holder of U.S. debt. So. When there's a major change in the largest creditor to the world's risk-free rate, then yeah, you have portfolio exposure, if not implications, and so therefore you need to sit up and pay attention. All right, but before I go any further, I'm going to lay out what, as I see it, the big picture story that's taking place is. Okay, and so here's what I need all of you to really just grasp at the fundamental base level. Over and above anything else today, um, it's something that's being completely overlooked, or rather, just completely underappreciated, both outside of Japan and inside of Japan. Okay. Big picture is as follows today's policy measures and policy statements are ultimately not about the yield curve control levels and where JGB yields are, nor is it about Japan's CPI and the Bank of Japan's own CPI revisions that were made higher today nor is it about dollar yen with a 130 or 140 or 150 handle, okay? What the Bank of Japan's policy release did that fundamentally changed the game and instantly so, right? At least for the foreseeable time being is that the Bank of Japan is attempting to reclaim its control over the path of how it executes monetary policy by yanking yield curve control out of the hands of the markets and back into the hands of the bank of japan or as i call it yccc yield curve control control and how are they doing this by re-injecting unpredictability and policy confusion into markets and of course very much done so on purpose so to all of you market depth followers out there particularly in the international audience Whatever the policy change that the Bank of Japan made today and why and why now and why this or that and what are the mechanics and so on, put that all aside for a moment. We'll go over that. But let me just, you know, make sure that I drill this into your head. You have to be aware of kind of the nuanced tone here in Tokyo coming out of the July 2023 Bank of Japan policy meeting. And that is one of head scratching and confusion by many Okay, so this clarity that everyone had been looking forward to going into the press conference, that clarity never came. In fact, it was subtracted. Okay, and that is exactly what the Bank of Japan had aimed to do, in my view, and had successfully achieved for now. Reclaim market command by keeping markets and market participants guessing rather than getting painted in a self-defined corner. And look, you don't have to take my word for it about this confusion that had occurred, just look at market reactions and the chaos in FX markets, the yen crosses that are swinging up more than 1% plus, then immediately gives up, on, gives up those gains and finds itself down over 1%, right? And I'm not talking about like a knee-jerk algo move upon the first 60 seconds of the possibilities. I mean, over like the entire PM session, right? Or how about in the equity market, where at PM open, the Nikkei index, first pops upwards and then immediately plummets almost three percent down on the day to only then recover almost back to flat on the day okay and by the way yes spx e-minis and ndx futures they followed that price action as that was happening just as they did 12 hours prior when the Nikkei leak had dropped at 102 p.m eastern And you see NASDAQ futures fall 2% immediately from that point to its intraday lows. And yeah, of course, JGB, you know, JGB's JGB yields, of course, spike on this. But then you also see, you know, 10 year US Treasury yields surge above 4%, but then they pull back down into the three handle and back and forth, okay? Again, this is all—it's a function of positioning, yes, but it's also very much a reflection of just pure confusion and directional disagreements and interpretations of the Bank of Japan policy that's whipping markets around directionally. What the Bank of Japan is aiming for with this policy change is to buy itself flexibility within its controlling of the yield curve. Yes, flexible control. So. Flexible is this term that's just kind of all over the policy statements and all that, and injecting that one word into these policy statements fundamentally alters how markets and the Bank of Japan interact from here forward. Flexible is what Bank of Japan has ascribed to the prevailing 50 basis point hard stop cap on yields, for which the 50 basis points has now become a general reference level for which 10-year JGB yields can trade around flexibly in that's what flexible means here okay it's, it's the dissolving of this hard red line into and turning it into a wider gray area instead and so therefore for us in markets an increase in flexibility and optionality for central for the central bank that comes at the expense of of procedural certainty and measurable predictability for us market participants Okay? In other words, we don't know what they're going to be doing anymore. and They've changed their ways. What we know, we have to now scrap. And we're only going to find out in real time where the new goalposts are. All right. So, which leads me to the control part of flexible control. Control, as in the Bank of Japan's fixed rate operations, in which that's when the Bank of Japan steps in and offers to buy an unlimited quantity of JGBs at a f- specific fixed rate level of X basis points, which, as I just mentioned that used to be 50 basis points on yields for 10-year JGBs, that's now been widened out to 100 basis points or 1% yield on 10-year JGBs. That's where the red line is, 1%. So you can look at it as the Bank of Japan has effectively just widened out this allowable trading bans on 10-year JGBs under Yields Curve Control Program from 0.5% to 1%. But it has done so in a way that it can attempt to at least gradually guide yields higher at whatever pace... And whatever way they, they choose to, and thereby avoid like this sudden doubling of yields that may potentially surge to that new one percent upper limit after being you know artificially suppressed down for so long, right? As per every single time that they keep widening the JGB bands, it just moves right up to yield, markets just move right up to the next upper band immediately, right? So the Bank of Japan wants to regain optionality or flex or flexibility. Or really, regain command over not just the yield curve, but over their yield curve control program itself. Yield, curve, control, control. So, how does the Bank of Japan effectuate yield curve control control? By eliminating routine and procedural precedents, and thereby sowing uncertainty and confusion. Okay, so, look very quickly, Look here's how they describe how yield curve control will be conducted at the, this is within the policy statement itself. And, by the way, there are four other separate additional policy statement documents also about yield curve control that were also released simultaneously. Yes, once again, purposely and unnecessarily, like, complex messaging. All right. The bank will purchase a necessary amount of Japanese government bonds, JGBs, without setting an upper limit so that the 10-year JGB yields will remain at around 0%. Okay, so yes, they actually have in writing that no upper limit is set on long-term yields and the around zero at the same time. And by the way, the around zero has always been there, and the no upper limit has made, you know, kind of brief cameo appearances here and there before, um, as recently as March 2022's BOJ statement. So, uh, no upper limit and around zero. That's where JGB yields are going to be trading. Then, if we continue on, the bank will continue to allow 10-year JGB yields to fluctuate in the range of around plus or minus 0.5 percentage points from target level, while it will conduct yield curve control with greater flexibility regarding the upper and lower bounds of the ranges as references, not as rigid limits in its market operations. Okay. So now, this 0.5% hard cap on yields is no longer a so-called rigid limit, but now rather it's a so-called reference. Okay, I don't know what reference refers to, but fine. Next line. The bank will offer to purchase 10-year JGBs at 1% every business day through fixed-rate operations unless it's highly likely that no bids will be submitted. Okay, so fixed-rate ops are the are when the ba- Bank of Japan steps in, offers to buy an unlimited quantity of JGBs at a fixed price every day, okay? I.e., that's the hard cap line in the sand, which prior to this was 0.5%, and now they're running fixed-rate ops on JGBs 10 years at 1%, okay? So double that of what it was previously, Um. And so that's why that's what the new assumed upper band level is. Okay. So just in the handful of those sentences, we have no upper limit. We have will remain around 0%. We have with a range of around 0.5%. And we have a hard cap ceiling of 1%. A hard cap ceiling despite having no upper limit. So are you confused yet? Good. So then you understand. And if you're not confused, then you don't understand. And you need to get confused. Either way, clearly, this isn't clear. And if you think that this is a simple yield curve control trading bands that have been widening out, widen out from 50 base points to 100 base points, absolutely not that simple. And if you think that it is, and if you therefore trade it as if it's that simple, you're likely going to find yourself widowed, okay? And to your own surprise. And so they put together this like one-sheet summary of everything that they did in totality. This is yet another release that they did on the same day. Um, and here it is, and now it was, you can probably see what I mean. This is supposed to clarify things as a simple one sheet, and instead it's just a mush of everything crammed in. There are actually like five completely separate sections as I've divided and distinguished here, okay? Um, so the top box is just the elevator pitch bullet point version of the actual policy statement itself, okay? Why, the, why they're doing what they're doing, all right? Quote, the bank judges that sustainable and stable achievement of price stability target of 2% has not yet come in sight and thus patiently continues with monetary easing. And then number two, with extremely high uncertainties for economic activity and prices, the bank enhances the sustainability of monetary easing by conducting yield curve control with greater flexibility, i.e. the Bank of Japan is still short of hitting their 2% CPI goal apparently, and with many headwinds to overcome in order to get there. So therefore, in order to get there, they see the need to maintain easing for some time going forward. And therefore, they need to make this adjustment in yield curve control in order to be able to continue to carry out the easing policy sustainably going forward. Okay, so according to BOJ, this, once again, this is not a tightening measure, let alone the start of some tightening cycle. Now, mind you, this, this is what they said, the same thing back in December 22, when they shocked widening yield curve control bands from 25 base points to 50, where it was until, you know, earlier today. We debate whether or not this is you know, indeed a one-off tightening measure later, but I'm just going to go through what they're saying first, okay? Um, and then, so this next section, this is the green box area. This is the yield curve control part. This is like the meat of the whole thing that i am got to go, go more in-depth on, so I'm just going to skip this for now, come back to it. Okay, next to it, the bottom left corner, these are interrelated. Um, these are the Bank of Japan's kind of revised inflation outlooks. And so if you just look here at Bank of Japan's inflation outlook for this this fiscal year, 2023, it's been massively revised upwards just from April, from April's projections, okay? In which core CPI, used to be below the 2% target. It used to be at 1.8%. That is now at 2.5%. and It's now well above the 2% target for this fiscal year. And then core core CPI, which is X food and energy, that was already above two percent previously, but now that has a three handle on it for this fiscal year. But they revised down uh, core CPI for fiscal year 24. So the primary reason that they keep saying as a justification for leaving policy unchanged throughout inflation prints that have been well above 2% target for like a year straight. That's the justification that they keep uh, using to maintain yield curve control. Well, according to their own projections, it's apparently no longer, right? And so this would be an interesting development if, if CPI were actually the metric or factor used for their policy actions or inactions, and CPI is not. Just two things regarding this, first Number one, just to remind you, this too was a press leak. Okay, this was from July 24th. Bloomberg, BOJ mulls sharp increase in 2023 inflation outlook, and they put the exact figure. The central bank's policy board is likely mulling the consumer inflation pro- projection to around 2.5%. For the year ending in March, up from 1.8% in April estimate, according to the people familiar with the matter. Because when I saw that, did they have it already in advance or whatever it was? But they nailed that with not two point two and a half percent figure. Okay, so clearly that's coming out of the Bank of Japan that was thrown out there. All right, let's just want to not let anything slip by that this is happening. This use of the media is happening at such a frequent level that you have to pay attention to what comes out of the media because it could very well be the bank of japan talking to markets and it could also be a complete lie too as we saw what the other way around right okay second thing regarding this upward revision to cpi for this fiscal year that's coinciding a lot with this change in yield curve control and so obviously he's going to be asked well you know is that's that's the cause and effect, right? And so what we is saying is, no, it's not related to today's, you know, CPI forecast being raised, but rather this is looking ahead into the future, what, 6, 12 months ahead or whatever, and this is kind of risk management for the future because, again, according to him, he's saying that if you... If we get this wrong, if, if the if CPI blows out to the upside basically and you're already in the midst of this surprise CPI blowout and then you were to adjust yield curve curve control higher, then you're going to just be in a much, much worse situation. Right? Today's actions are being taken as an advanced measure in order to avoid having to take actions in the future should we be wrong about our CPI judgment. Okay, but then that contradicts – if that's the case, that contradicts – the policy statement, right? On one hand, Ueda, you're saying you're raising the upper band on yield curve control as a preventative measure, as an, you know, measure taken in advance for risk management in case CPI blows up to the upside and you get it wrong and all that kind of thing. But the core policy framework for doing this, according to you guys, is that the bank of japan not achieving the cpi that they want and they still have yet to achieve and hence they're making these structural changes to yield curve control in order to be able to to you know effectuate easing going forward and therefore be able to finally achieve this desired sustainable 2% cpi so which is it is it like a preventative measure in case you get cpi or is it something you're doing in order to generate CPI? And look, I don't care what the answer is because it doesn't matter either way. I'm just saying like this is yet another purposeful point of confusion and obfuscation and clearly CPI really has nothing to do at the end of the day with yield curve control. It's what they point to, yeah, so it has to, it's it's the excuse and that's the only relation that they have, but otherwise they have nothing to do with one another. And you know how I know that? Because current CPI or current inflation in Japan is not due to yield curve control being in place. Yield curve control had no impact on CPI to the upside in Japan. Only global inflation had impacted Japan's CPI. So if yield curve control or any of the policy measures, extreme policy measures taken by the bank of Japan thus far from Kuroda forward hasn't generated CPI according to them, then why? What would removing current measures do to tackle CPI that hadn't been created by these measures? So that's why, like fundamentally speaking, this has nothing to do with inflation. Even though they'll keep pointing to it, yield curve controls' primary purpose is very evidently simple: it is to keep government borrowing costs down for the most overindebted nation in the world. It's to make sure that interest expenses don't take up 100% of the budget and then some. That's what it's there for. It's for debt monetization purposes. Now, you're not going to say that, and so you're going to point to inflation in one way or another. And so I understand why they're they're talking about inflation as if it matters but clearly it doesn't matter it's simply they can't talk about the, the real reason why they're they're doing yield curve control but yield curve control exists for that purpose so if you think about it from that angle from mid-december till current essentially borrowing costs for japan have at the 10-year level have potentially gone up fourfold from 25 basis points at that cap to if it's now allowed to go up to one percent all right, so that's the real world fundamental and actual direct consequence, immediate consequence of having a lift in yield curve control bands. All right, go watch the next few JGB auctions and you tell me if borrowing costs for Japan have perhaps changed a little bit. And I suspect that they might have gotten a little bit higher. Uh, he also says, I don't know if yield curve control flexibility will reduce JGB purchases. uh uh, okay this is important um he makes a comment on fx which is very rare what he says is we are not targeting exchange rates which is a standard thing for them to say but he also said we are not targeting exchange rates but we are considering the side effects of easing including currency market volatility this time okay i.e. suppressing um suppressing yields risks volatility spillovers into other markets namely fx that is an honest answer i respect that um and then finally (laughs) he was asked would there would it be a problem if it were left up to markets where jgb's trade and ueda said yeah it would be (laughs) okay so um so so much for that again honesty. good good for him but we all knew that, though, right? It would be a massive problem if uh, 260% debt to GDP Nation didn't have 10-year borrowing rates at a quarter, or I'm sorry, at a half a percent, or I guess now it's 1%. So let's go back to this, this real, you know, the real one, the, the yield curve control part. All right, so I've kind of stretched this out of proportion for a reason, and you'll see why in a minute. So regarding the yield curve control change, okay, so the actual policy statement itself is, quote, the bank will continue to allow 10-year JGB yields to fluctuate in the range of around plus minus 0.5 percentage points from the target level, uh, while it will conduct yield curve control with greater flexibility regarding the upper and lower bounds of the range as references, not as rigid limits. In its market operations, the bank will offer to purchase 10-year JGBs at 1.0% every business day through fixed rate purchase operations. So the question is, what the hell does this 0.5 have anything to do with anything anymore? What's the purpose of leaving this, you know, quote, plus minus 0.5% range in in the policy language, right? Because aren't the new trading bands plus and minus 1%? But this whole 50 basis points thing, this 0.5%, like a flexible reference level, and 1% is now like the hard stop upper bound thing. It's actually a pretty decent idea. In fact, it's a pretty smart idea, you know, in, in, in context of the broader horrendously disastrous raging dumpster fire of an idea known as yield curve control to begin with. But with that said, so let me just kind of explain from the top why that like 0.5 is, you know, is still even in the language because it does actually serve a purpose. So here is the generic 10-year JGB, you know, nominal yield over the past decade plus, right? Essentially, this is, this chart starts a bit before crudonomics kicks off. Let me give you some color on like how these trading ban levels were established okay and this is something that i've talked about a few times before including on market depth but it's definitely worth repeating in light of today's bank of japan actions okay and if any of you out there are already kind of very knowledgeable about yield curve control you might find this interesting as well um in case you haven't heard it all right but first like just some very quick basics so there are two primary ways that the bank of japan buys jgb's one is called a competitive operation in which the Bank of Japan releases a monthly schedule, much like this one that was just released, um, that outlines how much of what specific JGB tenor that they will be buying. Okay, So this competitive um, JGB buying up method, this is not yield curve control. This is more just sort of standard old QE style JGB buying that they've been doing since you know, inventing QE and it really doesn't matter too much um these kind of purchases. Note in general QE quantitative easing. Quantitative easing is the act of targeting a certain quantity of assets to buy. 120 billion dollars per month of QE or 80 trillion yen per year and so on, okay? It's quantity targeting, all right? So keep that in mind. So that's one of two ways that the Bank of Japan primarily buys jgbs the second way that the bank of japan buys jgbs is through what's called a fixed rate operation this is yield curve control fixed rate ops are when yields get too far away from quote around zero and that's when the bank of japan steps in um, steps into the market and they would offer to buy an unlimited amount of 10-year jgbs at a a specified price level or a fixed interest rate level right Basically, what fixed rate ops are is is basically like a resting limit order, like a limit order to buy at price level X. And just like any other limit order, if the market doesn't trade there, you might not get filled at all. And if the market is pushing through on volume at that level, you know at that price level, you're going to and you have like an unlimited like ammo and you are bid for unlimited quantity, then theoretically you've created an impenetrable wall of buying that should cap like. Price levels at that level, you know, just this wall of buying that could be that could absorb every last bit of selling, because I'm not a mathematician, but I'm pretty sure that the amount of unlimited is greater than any, you know, other notional amount. Okay, so those are two primary ways that the Bank of Japan purchases JGBs: competitive uh, uh, competitive auctions and fixed rate operations. There is a third way, but it's that's the fund supply operations, but that's it's too complicated, it's too new, and it's not directly the Bank of Japan buying it. That's when they're basically having banks buy JGBs for them. And they basically give them a very cheap rate in order for them to borrow money to do so. And they could even take that rate negative, in which case they would essentially be paying banks to buy JGBs on their behalf, to put it very simply. Okay. This just rolled out earlier this year. It's not really used that much. Um, But... The two ways are really just these fixed rate operations, that's yield curve control, and then the competitive rate um, operations, which don't really matter. Okay, so Bank of Japan unveils yield curve control in September of 2016. Um, But it's not really until early 2017 that yields move far enough away from this like around zero level that the Bank of Japan never actually specified what that level is. They just keep saying quote around zero. But It's early 2017. That's when Bank of Japan conducts its very first ever fixed rate operation under yield curve control, right? The very first offering to buy an unlimited 10-year JGBs at a yield of 0.1%. And upon that announcement, the market backed off, okay? There was no actual transactions that were made. Nobody actually um, sold to the Bank of Japan at 0.1% that time. But... That was a defi- that was the defining moment that still haunts the Bank of Japan to this very day, some six years later. Because even though they didn't actually end up buying any JGBs at this first fixed rate up, they now showed the market a price level, a specific price level. They revealed a price level, right, or a yield level at which they apparently deemed was too far away from this around zero to tolerate and it, it was enough for them to for the bank of japan to act to bid for an unlimited amount at 0.1 percent and as we know about the very nature of kind of market behavior and you know the, the testing of pegged markets by which i mean any sort of pegged markets be it yield curve control on jgbs or an emerging market currency peg like the i don't know the bot or the chinese yuan to the us dollar or whatever or take caroline ellison of alameda research and ftx or whatever right and when she like put out that public and explicit was a 20 dollar per token bid for binance's FTT tokens on out on twitter if you're running some sort of advertised impenetrable wall that market forces cannot push through if that's what you're basically saying if that's what you're going to do, you never, ever, ever throw a specific self-identified price level out there because the moment you do that, then markets will never, ever let you escape from it and they will test you. And guess what? Markets will overpower you unless you are a central bank with a printing press. But that's essentially what the Bank of Japan did in early 2017 with their very f- first fixed rate op, okay? Um, I've told the story many times, but basically back in my, my days as an institutional sell-side monkey... So I, I've sat in on uh, private meetings with clients on on three separate Bank of Japan, you know, voting board member meetings on three like very separate occasions, and each one of them, at the time, had said like even um, unprompted that when they when the Bank of Japan initially rolled out yield curve control in September twenty sixteen, uh, and then you know a few months subsequent to that and they did their first fixed rate up, the Bank of Japan had never ever set nor intended to set any plus minus upper and lower trading bands. They weren't even thinking of the price level or like a yield level at the time. They, When they did that very first fixed rate up in 2017, they just announced that they're going to, you know, bid for an unlimited amount of JGBs at um, what happened to be yielding at 0.1%. And from that point forward, it was the markets who essentially took that 0.1% as the Bank of Japan's upper band of tolerance before, you know, stepping in and offering to purchase an unlimited amount, right? And then markets also just naturally assumed a minus 0.1% for the lower band, right? So, like, upper band, lower band, right? And that became a self-fulfilling reality. And... The very concept of these upper and lower trading bands on yield curve, curve control were thus born. That's how they, like, formed. Not even—I'm not even talking about specifically plus minus 0.1. I'm talking about the concept of trading bands themselves. They were not even, like, part of the policy, but markets created this for the Bank of Japan, and the Bank of Japan have essentially had to go along, right? Um, actually, they they were— yeah, I guess they were born the moment that the Bank of Japan accidentally, you know, affirmed a market price of tolerance to create these trading bands. But it really wasn't at that moment that these trading bands were effective because they weren't yet actually tested. Like for the next year or so, the market would just kind of self-regulate and just back off um, itself anytime yields got too close to, you know, that 0.1% upper band that never – really existed in actual policy itself some upper band but it did become real when one day the bank of japan conducted a fixed rate up you know fixed rate ops to buy unlimited at 0.1 and then they actually got sellers to transact and then some more and then an avalanche of selling came um this was like in july or august of 2018 there was a press test when reuters put out the idea of boj um jgb tapering and then jgb futures immediately plummeted in crazy size on a friday during u.s hours aka saturday middle of night japan and then the following monday cash jgb market opened with yields above the 10 basis point upper band and once that print happened there was just an enormous wave of like cash jgb selling but it did take the bank of japan like three separate fixed rate ups um within you know two or three days in order to kind of try to you know put this fire out i guess and then the bank of japan eventually just officially quote lifted i.e made actual upper and lower trading bands at plus minus 0.2 percent so a 10 base point widening from the then sort of implicit 10 you know plus minus 10 base points and so since then they went to 25 base points 50 basis points in the December 2022 Kuroda shock, and now to 100 basis points, or 1%, um, what's being labeled currently in Japan as the, quote, 1% Ueda shock. Okay, so why did I just go through this whole history and background and the evolution of yield curve control and price levels, or price bands? Because what the Bank of Japan did today was not just another widening of the trading bands as per every other one. This is the bank of Japan trying to reclaim their freedom within or rather, you know, rather than imprisonment inside yields curve control. Okay. They don't want to be cornered by market f- markets and forced to buy unlimited amounts of JDBs to defend like a hard level, like peg in December of 2022. You know after a year of a very bloody bare knuckle fight with markets you know being very steadfast and keeping 10-year jdb yields capped at 25 basis points you know period right as u.s treasury yields and european yields yields everywhere were surging by hundreds of basis points Bank of Japan stayed, you know, like very firm on keeping that lid on 25 base points of the 10 year yield. And then suddenly they lifted 10 year JGB yields to 50 base points in December at the very end of the year. You know, when they thought that all the JGB shorting hedge funds had, at least for the moment, accepted that the Bank of Japan isn't moving on yields curf- yield curve control Um, And when they did do that shock move, that backfired because that reawakened a massive army of jgb short sellers the widowmaker trade came in back into full force and that new 50 basis point you know upper and lower band that it just widened out to now that was bursting at its seams with 10-year jgb yields trading above the 50 basis point yield curve control cap the newly made 50 basis point yield curve control cap which is a whole nother matter that I can get into another time, but yes, it is mechanically possible for yields to print above a so called impenetrable wall. Either way, JGBs were being sold at that fifty basis point upper bound in such massive volumes, and the BOJ had to absolutely defend that level to the death, lest this narrative of the Bank of Japan is giving up giving into markets is like validated. Such that between this, the December 22 Bank of Japan meeting, okay, which was the week of Christmas, I think, and the first two weeks of January, between that time, the Bank of Japan had bought more JGBs, i.e. done more QE, than they ever had before on record. And I really mean like off-the-chart record amounts of JGB buying, okay? This was happening in this year, January of 2023, well into the global monetary tightening environment, okay? In fact, here's an insane stat for you. So in January of this year, in 2023, in order to defend this new 50 basis point upper band of yield curve control against this enormous wave of record amounts of selling of JGBs, BOJ bought about... 24 trillion yen of JGBs. Okay, that equates to roughly 180 billion USD dollars worth of JGBs. 180 billion dollars in QE is 50% more than the Fed's 120 billion per month QE program that it was running at its peak QE. Okay, let me repeat that. The Bank of Japan in January of this year did $180 billion worth of QE. The Fed at their peak QE was doing $120 billion per month. So the Bank of Japan was doing 50% more than the Fed at its peak QE. The only difference is not only did the Bank of Japan do 50% more QE than the Fed's $120 billion per month, but half of that 180 billion amount of jgb buying had occurred in just 2 days on January 12th and Jan- January 13th about 90 billion dollars of qe of bond buying jgb buying was done by the bank of japan on those 2 days of January of this year and so here's the few key takeaways from this particular episode of note first this was the result of the Bank of Japan surprise widening yields curve control bands from 25 basis points to 50 basis points in December of 2022, because that had reawakened the short JGB trade by every macro hedge fund on the planet and then some, right? And why was there so much insanely crowded pressure on JGBs? Because the December 2022 yields curve control trading band widening was seen as the beginning of a Bank of Japan tightening cycle, finally giving in to inflation and getting in line with the rest of the world, right, when it was absolutely not that at all. That's not at all what the Bank of Japan was doing, you know, or, or anything like that. The Bank of Japan widened the 10-year uh, yield curve control cap in December for market functionality purposes. It has nothing to do with CPI. Um, and look, if you're split between who to believe, either the Bank Pan Japan who insisted from that December moment until even today that this widening of yield control bands is absolutely not policy tightening measures. Or like these foreign hedge funds and economists and analysts who are talking and talking heads who are all saying that this was the beginning of a BOJ tightening and the end of an era of easing for the last holdout of easing. Look, you don't have to, quote, believe either side. Just look at what transpired starting immediately from that December twenty-two BOJ announcement. Bank of Japan did more QE than ever. So you tell me if that's what the start of a tightening cycle looks like. It's ironic that a so-called December rate hike, quote unquote, resulted in more QE than peak Fed. Okay, so that's what the dilemma for the Bank of Japan has been, right? That they learned a very, very, very expensive lesson about. If they were to attempt to even tweak the accommodative yield curve control policy to slightly less accommodative, they'll actually end up being extremely accommodative due to how much battling against markets and unlimited buying of GDPs they'll have to do in the immediate. Okay? Seems like a double-edged sword, right? until today. Okay. So, on the left side, this is the previous structure of yield curve control. So, it's strictly capping 10-year JGB yields by fixed rate purchase operations as it says. And you can see that blue shaded area between plus and minus 50 basis points and the red line at 50 basis points as a hard cap, okay? That was the old model, uh, you know, that had been in place since the beginning of I guess yield yield-to-cur- curve curve control. Um That's the one that forces them to have to defend that line, that like literal red line in the sand at all costs. Okay. But on the right side, this is the new structure with, as they say, greater flexibility. Okay. So let's go back to this question of what the hell does this 50 basis point level have to do with anything, with anything anymore, right? If the new ceiling for the fixed rate ops is 100 basis points or like, you know, a hard stop at 1% what does any previous cap level have any relevance anymore and by the way yes this was repeatedly asked to ueda during the press conference what's the 50 basis points still doing in like in the language in the official policy language what is the purpose what purpose does serve etc right and ueda's very terrible explanation is basically that the 50 basis points uh, or, so called, you know, the target is just a flexible, non rigid reference area for which 10 year JGB yields can float in and out of and around or about. Okay. Or, as per this graphic, with apparently a JGB chart that has like the ability to speak because it has a rectangle word bubble popping out of it saying, quote, nimbly conducting market operations. Here's what this graphic actually shows and what the whole thing means in in my words and from my explanation, okay? Because the graphic actually does do some justice if explained properly. So you see the blue shaded area in both the previous yield curve control on the left as well as the current one on the right with greater flexibility, right? The blue shaded areas. These blue shaded areas, this is basically where Free markets can live, okay, if you will, right? In other words, that's where JGB tenure yields can roam around and graze the green pastures under an endless emerald sky and be free to move around and do whatever. But f- like free as in like Truman Show type of free. Because once you start to roam out of that blue area, That's when you start to get into the forbidden land of BOJ fixed rate ops that can pop up at any time. And so that's why that kind of gradient blends like that from blue to, you know, getting thinner and thinner blue to eventually white and then eventually that that red line. Okay, the further you get away from that blue, the more you're not in sort of a safe land. All right. So you want to short JGBs. At 60 basis points? Go ahead. How about 70 basis points? How about at 80 basis points? How about 85? And then, bam. Bank of Japan steps in unannounced with a fixed rate up AK-47, unlimited ammo, blast yields back down into the blue shaded area under 50 basis points. There is no risk-free yield in Japan. There's only yield-free risk, okay? No, but that really is how, like, how it's going to be, from here you know going forward okay in other words like the bank of japan has indeed it seems that they've reclaimed its uh ambiguity back in yield curve control like what how it originally intended back in september of 2016 rollout of yield curve control where it thought it could just buy some here at this tenor buy some there at that tenor you know maybe do a fixed rate unlimited sprinkled in and you have yourself yield curve control that's how this was envisioned until the market stole that flexibility away from the Bank of Japan and have held Bank of Japan hostage to what the market has deemed as like, you know, hard fixed price levels ever since. Well, this might actually work, okay? This is like a, a way for the Bank of Japan to widen the bands with ambiguity so that it can control the path and the speed and like the velocity of a higher rate environment. Should they even choose to have a higher rate environment. Um, but. Either way. It's on their. It's ba- it's back on their own terms. Okay. Keep markets on eggshells. And if you dare go near that upper red line band of 1%. The Bank of Japan will take a. Rusty machete. And widowize your portfolio. All right. And. By the way. This is definitely all from Deputy Governor. Uchida, the mastermind BOJ lifer who had been designing policy programs very nimbly um, on the fly well before Kuroda had even joined. Okay, and yes, very much including, you know, designing and implementing and executing yield curve control this entire time, this ongoing experiment of his. And so this is now that he's in an even more elevated role as deputy governor. Yeah, this is definitely him. And that's why U- Ueda doesn't doesn't know how to talk about it. talk about this, right? Because he doesn't know any of like the actual market mechanics of of, of things. In fact, in fact, uh, deputy in fact, Deputy Governor Uchida is probably the one who like, you know, made this stupid diagram in the first place, and he probably made it for Ueda you know, to reference off of at the press conference. And then they looked at it and they probably decided, oh, it's not bad. And they decided to release it as part of like the policy statement package as well for like, you know, the everybody, for the public to see. So that's what the program is, okay? And note, it has not even started yet. Now is when we will see if it'll work, okay? Look, Where will JGB 10s trade next week? What about next month? What about at year end? What about in 24 months from now? Nobody knows currently at this moment, okay? And furthermore, many people think that they know, or rather, they don't know that they don't know. I'm talking about sell-side economists who have their, quote, BOJ will end yield curve control uh, off the back of, you know, today's decision calls, right? This is like a wholesale step change to how yield curve control operates. How would anybody possibly know how this ends up? This is an ongoing experiment, okay? There is no precedence to this, right? So I think that it's I think that those people are just clowns once again. Um, and I'm obviously talking about the sell side economists who have their like you know, BOJ will end yield curve control. You know, g- given today's actions, the Bank of Japan will end yield curve control at this specific time, October. You of where the market just naturally traded. That's just when trading hours ended okay now it might be where where um fair value is but i will say this i got this fantastic chart from a mr michael howell because i asked him last year if tenure ggb did not have yields curve control if that didn't exist where do you think fair value would be and he actually gave me a very specific like kind of answer but either way it's like above one percent Okay. Um, according, uh, look, I, I have no idea how to do the bond math on this. So I have no idea how he did the bond math on this. I'm not going to even attempt to to, to try. But um, I don't think that the markets, once given permission to trade up to one percent, have just kind of naturally stopped seven basis points above the previous cap. Is this a step towards policy normalization? First and foremost. I think that we all need to agree upon the definition of what normalization means, because I think that people don't realize that they don't realize that everyone has a different different definition. What is policy normalization generally, as applied to like the US or the EU or UK or so on, right? I think that it's the general definition or concept that most would agree with is something along the lines of, you know... To get monetary policy out of a state of low to zero rates and like large scale asset purchases, QE or whatever, which are like emergency measures that were taken during financial crises and economic shocks like that of September two thousand eight or March twenty twenty, to remove these temporary emergency easing measures incrementally as, you know, economic and financial recoveries are underway. Such that rates that were cut to zero more or less can go back to where they were prior to getting cut to zero. And then asset per- assets that have been purchased on the central bank balance sheet are either, one, no longer being purchased, as per like the Fed letting their balance sheet holdings run off the balance sheet by just holding to maturity and not rolling them, or two, assets that were purchased on the central bank balance sheet are being actively sold back into markets, as per, say, like the Bank of England, Who is selling UK guilds into the market? And the reason that they're doing so rather than just like letting it run off, letting their, you know, balance sheet run off is because the average duration for the Bank of England's government bond holdings are much longer than their peers. So they kind of have to. Otherwise, if they just hold to maturity, it's going to take them like decades for them to wind their balance sheet down. Okay. So normalization uh, for the major DM central banks generally refers to like a I guess, pre-2008 era of rates and balance sheet size, or at least like the attempt or the process of getting there. I guess that's what normalization would mean. But what is policy normalization in the context of Japan? Because Japan has had its policy rate at the zero bound since like 2000, right? So, quote, normal for Japan may very well be permanent easing in some form or another the normalization process might be like one move a year or whatever. For me, at this moment, I happen to view the December 22 yield curve control widening and the July 23 yield curve control widening as two entirely separate independent acts under two separate governors and deputy governors. Two completely different market and economic backdrops. Okay, But that said, I could also see why one might see them as part of the same in succession you know acknowledging that the term or the concept in succession isn't synonymous with that of consecutive okay if by normalization you mean an exit from the status quo then no i don't believe that this yield curve control move from 50 basis points to one percent with a gray zone of flexibility that has a sign hanging that says trespassers will be shot is that type of normalization okay and then further on that note, let me also discuss this, like, path that the Bank of Japan has ap- apparently embarked on, um, in which there are calls for BOJ to exit Yield curve Control altogether, some saying, you know, by next meeting or, like, you know, on the back of the move today. Look, again, I have to strongly uh, disagree with this notion. And I would have to say that because... Because of this move today, the Bank of Japan has to skip for a few meetings, okay? Last December 2022, that was the last change to the Curve control, and they held firm without any change through four meetings and two governors, a governor transition. But the Bank of Japan has to just maintain and skip for, for several meetings going forward. Otherwise... If they do another move like this in succession at the next meeting, then of course it will be taken as indeed the start of a cycle rather than a one-off, which is, in my view, why they went aggressively to 1% and did so now, as opposed to last meeting when I had said that, if you recall, I said that that last meeting there was a 50-50 coin toss chance that they'd move on yields for control because the conditions were lined up for this, right? Seems that I was off by one meeting. And why? Two potential reasons why I got the timing off. One is that I didn't put enough waiting into the election cycle in June with a very vulnerable Prime Minister Kishida approval rating. And so as to not, you know, rock the boat then. So I didn't consider that. But second reason I got the timing wrong is now in hindsight with this What they're trying to do, it seems, is to buy as much time as possible to not have to go any further with these, like, yield curve control, you know, band widenings. And so you do that by starting as late as possible. Okay. And so what you want to do is you want to wait for that policy convergence to begin from the Fed or, you know, the ECB or whatever. Or this, like, you know, never coming global recession or whatever, or the global CPI cooldown lag that finally also comes to Japan, or something that will just justify them to not have to justify their stance of easing in, in an inflationary environment. Okay. And so that means start as late as possible. Whereas my call from last meeting was around this idea of this is. Your one very rare window of opportunity with all the stars aligned. Who knows what if you'll ever get it again? It might be gone tomorrow. This is why they have to, you know. This is why there's like a 50 chance that they might act now. But now that it's done, now today, I mean, never say never. But I see extremely little probability of any further movement of the Bank of Japan um, in, you know, in the near term, especially in, you know, in the next few meetings. Probably, you know for the rest of the year because why keep expanding higher if jgb yields just muddle around in that blue shaded grasslands on their own why 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 do that right and if alternatively markets were to go to battle at the one percent red line starting monday at am cash open then of course that's they're not going to move then that's when they're going to dig their trenches with unlimited ammo and defend that line so in either case i see no further movement upwards for the bank of japan to move yield control further in the you know in the coming future regardless of any cpi picture or anything else nonetheless this is my view is that now that they did this today i don't see them moving and so if the consensus is going to start trading as if this is the beginning of the end again, like they did in December, th- this can create potential trading opportunities. Um, if enough of the market once again, believes that this is the beginning of a consecutive cycle and start shorting JGBs and so on. If there's enough crowded positioning that can trigger forced exiting. Um, and if like, certain market setups you know, and correlations are, are are present. I mean it might be as simple as just going long tenured US Treasuries or short topics banks on the eve of you know the next Bank of Japan meeting and like kind of every Bank of Japan meeting as long as this is going on. Okay. Again, obviously no way to know now, but this is just something to keep in mind and uh, you know going forward, just observing how markets form, should you want to trade that as a catalyst. Okay, now let me just finish up with this. I want to just give a few comments on how the Bank of Japan was able to pull this off without blowing a massive hole in half the Pacific Ocean, okay? In fact, let me tell you how this was potentially evident and astute followers of market depth are probably well aware already. So, as I showed you and mentioned in the last Bank of Japan meeting, um, you know, when I made this case for a 50-50 coin toss for yield curve control change, because the conditions were all lined up, right? So things like the JGB yield curve. You know, that long smoothed out, you know, without that, like, 10-year yield kink in it. Um, then you have Deputy Governor Uchida, the surprise factor in which he stated multiple times how any change to yield curve control by nature has to be done by surprise and so that leaves just, like, two more factors that need to be checked off this list um, for a yield curve control to be able to kind of, you know, be exercised without blowing the world up. And it just so happens that I discussed these two factors at length in the previous episode of Market Depth. So the first of which is, in order to make a yield curve control change, shock or otherwise... You cannot have JGB yields pressed up against the soon-to-be-lifted upper band ceiling lest you want to spend another $180 billion in five days to defend whatever the new upper band is. Well, I'm sure you guys remember from my ranting from my last episode in which I kind of skewer the use of press testing and press leaking and having the media clear out positions. I was ranting that this is just a very unfair, corrupt market manipulation, right? All because Ueda can't handle volatility and he's outsourcing it to Bloomberg and Nikkei. But then I also said the following as a potential sort of other take. Now, here's the flip side of my rant, okay? I suppose that... If you are going to make an adjustment to yield curve control, then you would do it when the JGB yields aren't being pressed up against the upper bound, as I always say. And as per deputy governor, Uchida, who is the only guy I take seriously at the bank of Japan, as he has stated on several occasions now that if you're going to tweak yield curve control, then it has to come by shock and surprise as per the nature of yield curve control. Even though my core Broad, longer-term thesis on BOJ policy is that Japan is permanently stuck in central bank debt monetization, debt buying, you know, leaving interest rates extremely low, borrowing costs extremely low for the government. That's what I've always said, and I've also always said that that, however, does not mean that there's going to be zero policy change or attempts. You know, it's not like it's going to be frozen in place as is for eternity. I mean, look at December 2022, right? For various reasons, right? Small tweaks can and will be attempted here and there. But should they come, they will be individual one-off things. And not some so-called like start of a Japan tightening cycle. But I suppose that if he did want to shock markets, this is the way to do it. You do a, a fake press test. Leak stuff like this out. Get markets out of your face you know you make your surprise tweak to yield curve well turns out that was indeed the case my i guess is that my less cynical view i don't know either way look therefore although it does still piss me off very much so that they're screwing over market participants and traders via media-driven market manipulation you know moving goalposts and all that I do also understand that there is an actual functional reason behind it. And other than Ueda just being too cowardly and outsourcing volatility. Okay. You need to reposition markets and let the kind of the, the pressure out as much as possible. Otherwise you're going to get all of what's happening in, you know, in markets from t- the 2am Nikkei policy release pre-release reaction, as well as the actual policy release reaction all at once. And that kind of, Velocity and volume going through can be net-net more harmful with spillover effects unintended. Um, so fine, I'll take it, I guess. But it really makes me reassess how to, let alone if to, trade off of these Bank Japan-based catalysts anymore going forward. At least not until I understand this guy ueda more which i kept on saying which i keep saying i don't i don't know him enough to trade him right and this is this is exactly why i had that skepticism of him i don't get this guy yet okay i will say that i did successfully trade my short EU, eur jpy position euro yen position that i was talking about um, but that's because I have a very short time frames in like in these sort of things, in which I tend to I build positions up like over a little bit longer period of time. But if I'm in for a very specific catalyst, once that catalyst hits, I'm out, and almost regardless of what the PNL is, I'm out. I'm, I'm out either right or wrong, right? So I actually close out of most of my EURJPY short at the Nikkei leak which I thankfully happened to just be awake at that point. And then I closed out the rest of it during the a press conference or um, you know, earlier today, and now I see, you know, you are JPY is picking up steam, so it's a good thing I did. But anyway, that's one of the and, and that's another thing too. The fact that the yen is getting crushed or or the euro's rallying and dollar yen is like rallying right now. That's what it looks like once you've cleared out markets from pre-positioning, from press tests or press leaks beforehand, and then you get kind of new positioning in mixed with it, um, along with very ambiguous policies and all that. I mean, I st- look, I'm already out of the position, but I still think that there's a yen upside from here. But who knows anymore? Media leaks or whatever, like they could, positions can cl- just get cleared out at any time. Look, here's a clip from former Bank of Japan Deputy Governor Wakatabe from just a few days ago, just before this BOJ meeting.
1: SWAT traders continue to bet that the BOJ will eventually have to move on its YCC as this chart on the Bloomberg shows. Uh What can we expect in terms of the BOJ trying to really clamp down on this speculation that they will move? The YCC is an interesting sort of instrument. It's um, always uh, under speculation, uh, and I think the governor Weather has been uh, uh, addressing uh, that uh, the matter uh, forcefully. But the, uh, the, the, there are always uh, speculations uh, in the market, so you cannot deal with the speculations. You know that, and you cannot really wipe out speculations uh, as long as you continue the mm. YCC.
0: You cannot really wipe out speculation. Yeah, you can, and that's why you're the former deputy governor of the Bank of Japan, my dude. No, I'm kidding. That was kind of mean. Either way, that's just one of the two conditions left needed to be uh, met for yield curve control to occur. Markets need to not be pressing the Bank of Japan into something, and since it was the Bank of Japan themselves that had cleared the path for markets this time, right? That was a telltale sign that this was coming, this this yield curve control change the only sort of irony being that once they do that the clearing out of positions via media drops and all that then there isn't any alpha in the trade left because it just got cleared out that that basically was the like i keep saying that is the policy in of itself as far as green and red blinking takers are concerned all right so now that the market has been cleared from you know pressure or whatever um then the only other thing left that you need to check off the list before shock yield curve controlling is some nod of complicity or at least some heads up notification given to your fellow central bank peers your majors right the ones that i had spent an entire episode dissecting their interrelationship from the center panel J-PAL, Christine Lagarde, Andrew Bailey, Governor Ueda, who talk a lot from Bank of Japan Governor Ueda's very first international English-speaking public appearance since becoming governor of Bank of Japan. And so, also in the most recent episode of Market Death, I pointed to specifically one individual, in particular, to watch this week amongst the central bankers who are uh, who are doing policy meetings. I believe that watching Christine Lagarde's conduct at ECB this week, that is probably going to be the most critical thing um, to determine whether or not there is a policy divergence or turning into policy convergence. In fact, that might be where it starts to get priced in. So for example, if Christine Lagarde were the same super hawkishness as she was the last time, you can probably guess that the BOJ is going to be on hold a half a day later. But if she's more sanguine the last time, it doesn't necessarily mean that she- it's because she knows that the BOJ is about to tear the roof off the fixed income universe globally in, you know, T-minus 20 hours. It could simply just mean that Eurozone PMIs were unanimously, like, horrendously terrible across the board or any number of reasons. But it can also mean because she did speak with Ueda and with Powell and with Bailey, who all said the same thing. Yeah, Ueda called, so BOJ is going to move on Friday. Um, But either way, just watch for what kind of contrast the June Christine Lagarde is, and the the July Christine Lagarde. Okay, so that was from, obviously, you know, the last episode. That was from before the Fed, the ECB, and the Bank of Japan. So why don't we compare the Christine Lagarde of past and present, shall we? So here's clips of a hawkish Christine Lagarde from the May ECB, followed by the June ECB, both meetings of which the Bank of Japan was on hold, but then at the July ECB yesterday, why she seemed mm, different, a bit less confidently table-pounding hawkish. Watch this.
1: We are continuing this hiking process. This is a journey. We have not arrived yet. Are we done? Have we finished the journey? No, we're not at destination. Do we still have ground to cover? Yes, we have ground to cover. And I can even go further than that. I can tell you that bearing a material change to our baseline, it is very likely the case that we will continue to increase rates in July. There is the possibility of a hike. There is the possibility of a pause. It's a decisive maybe. But you know, don't expect me to go one way or the other. It's a decisive
0: maybe. Okay. There's any number of reasons for her to suddenly turn decisively non-committed this you know this week, this week in which you know a, a single day, a day after Chair Powell also said absolutely nothing of substance or or guidance at his own FOMC press conference. Any number of coincidental reasons for this behavior. Here's what I will say. If the Bank of Japan is repeatedly and so openly press testing and press leaking policy to media outlets, then I can say with near certainty that Governor Ueda had also definitely notified Chair Powell, President Lagarde, Governor Bailey, and the rest of the frequent direct interactions Central Bankers Club, that the Bank of Japan is going to move this week, okay? Whether or not that explains and Powell's strange, sudden, strange, you know, clammed up behavior, it's up to you to decide. But those phone calls, that happened. So, watch JGB 10-year yields and see where or if the Bank of Japan stops them. North of 50 basis points and south of 100 basis points. And if JGB 10s are trading just under that 100 base point cap, that 1% cap, and then you get a series of events like press leaks that short squeeze out crowded positioning and then collapses yields back downwards, and then you get central bankers being suddenly and very uncharacteristically and uncomfortably vague when the calendar has them doing their policy right before the Bank Japan's day. I don't know what one would do, but just don't be surprised should there be another Bank of Japan surprise. Okay, so are you now more confused? Well, good, then I've clarified the situation. Are you more clear? No, good. You need to throw out your pre-existing assumptions and get confused and get on board. Like, of course, there are still tools that still work and are still very necessary and all that. But we are in uncharted waters now. And so we use compasses, not maps. Okay? All right, everyone, thanks as always. Remember to please hit that like button if you found any value in this. Um, and make sure that you're subscribed to stay on top of developments as they come to Blockworks Macro. And of course, follow me on Twitter at Across the Spread. And on behalf of Blockworks Macro, my name is Wes Nakamura. We will see you all soon. Thank you. Bye.